Father God, individually and corporately, we want to hear from you. And we're not here just to be here, but we're here actually to experience you, to know you, to hear from you. And so I pray that you would help us to set aside the distractions of the day or our week ahead, uh, set aside the anxieties, the fear that we brought in with us in this room, and I pray that you would enable us and empower us to put a pause, a pause to thoughts that distract us in order so that we might hear from you. Soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear. We pray and do all these things for your glory and for our joy in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last week I talked about that there are two tracks in life and in the church. There's a track of blessing and there's a track of challenge. We will also see that in our life. The, in our, uh, <laughs> coffee's over if you haven't figured that one out. The, the, there's the track of opportunity where all the great things are happening in life, but at the same time, there's also the track of obstacles. Uh, these two tracks, they run simultaneously, side by side, all the time, and in life and in the church, we get both the good and the bad. And uh, sometime, they come at the same time. Now, we went over our vision here at Seoul, and I tried to communicate that last week, and so today I'm going to ask you to articulate that. For those of you who were here last week, do you remember what the points were to our vision. How many points were there? Thank you. Four points. What was the first one? No God. Second one? No freedom. Third one? Know your purpose. Fourth one? Make a difference. That's our vision. And I think that's, it's a vision that anybody can get behind. I think it's a vision that is crystal clear. Um, but when you lay out a vision, there's always going to be things that push back against it. You know, you heard Bernie and Cecilia talking. There were things that, you know, the issue with the bus. Every time they have their vision, every time they're moving forward, there are things that push back against it. Last week, I mentioned that one of the elements that pushes back against vision is the external pressures. These are things that you have no control over. These are like governmental pressures, like with Bernie and Celia, or, you know, the civic issues that are going on. Uh, you'll notice our elevator is almost ready to go. It's been a year, but it's almost ready to go. And so we need your prayers because the uh, permit person is going to come, and we're going to uh, force them to sign off and uh, get this thing going. So uh, it, it's happening. So things, things beyond our control, external pressures, is number one. Now, um, there's not a lot that we can do about any external pressures, in, not just in the vision of the church, but even in our own lives, other than to ask God to help us and to pray for it and ask for wisdom to navigate through. That's really the only thing you can do with external pressures. The sex, second obstacle is preference. And that means, you know, why should we change anything? Like, you know, why should we do what you're saying? What, you know, what, we all have preferences. I, you know, I like things this way. Uh, and that's our society, right? I choose what to eat, when to eat, where to live. I choose where to go. I choose even which gathering to attend when we go back to two in the fall. And it's all based on our own personal preferences. Now, there's nothing wrong with preferences. But we have to understand that once two people who have different preferences collide, which happens... We have a challenge, and that's where leadership has to step in and acknowledge that there's always going to be opposing preferences, but 
the leadership will set the direction. And, and so we have to be careful. We have to be aware that even in our own lives, our own preferences can become an obstacle. And in the life of the church, our own preferences can be an obstacle to the vision of the church. So here at Seoul, we have to let purpose lead and not preference. I hope you're tracking with me because we all have preferences. I hate country music, but it doesn't stop the band from playing it sometimes, you know, uh, but it's my preference. And, you know, what I do uh, is one thing, but we have to be on a common purpose. And our vision is what is the best way to move people towards Jesus? And how can we all be on the same way to do that? What is the best and most effective way to help people take their next step? Right? In their, their relationship with God. And whatever that is, we must uh, do because we have to have this strong vision. We need to execute that vision. So I hope you're catching what I'm throwing this morning because uh, if you're wondering then where's your room for preference, I'd like to share that with you. But that's going to come up in September when we start talking about life groups and uh, what life groups are going to look like and how we're going to function. But that will be after the September 9th kickoff. So you, there's room for preference but we just got to go and take our time. The third obstacle to vision with the church specifically is what we deal with the most. And it's always finances. Welcome to Seoul. If you're our guest today, gosh, he's talking about money. You betcha I am. Now, let me give you a brief financial update of where we are with our finances. On one track, we have financial growth here at the church. As a matter of fact, our financial growth over last year has gone up 9% over the year before. Yeah, they're, they're, you, you, you're catching what I'm throwing. That's actually a great thing. Um, but as I said, we run on two tracks, right? We run on blessing and we run on challenge. We run on opportunity, we run on obstacles. So some of the external pressures now that have been applied to us uh, since the beginning of this year is that we face is that our utilities, our property taxes are up $500 and $700 a month respectively. That's what happens when you rent your building. That's what happens when you get new people in City Hall. They give you taxes. Yes, the church pays tax. Um, and so they have gone up. But uh, we also have to say this. We, um, we can't fight that. Uh, in, in 2017, we finished, um, our budget finished $7,000 in the red. Now, don't get your shorts in the knot if you're one of those accounting type people. Okay, you got to work with me on this. But we had $240,000 in the bank, okay? So um, if you're a number person, you need to understand that when we built this building, we decided to move into this building, our five-year plan was budgeted to finish in the red for the first five years. Are you with me? We plan to finish in the red. We have this little safety account that we try to hold on to, but we plan to finish in the red. We have one more year to go according to budget, and I would love to see at the end of this year that we don't finish in the red, but we, meet, we break our budget a year in advance and actually finish in the black, which is a good thing for those of you who don't know the red and black concept of numbers. If we were only $7,000, can we not finish early and keep moving up? Like, that's a good thing. That's the thing that we celebrate. So generally speaking, our income is going up, and that has a lot to do with the building rentals, but it also has to do with our general giving. But so are our expenses. And we've hurt, worked really hard. I've made the staff work really hard to keep our expenses down over the last year and a half. And, and, and it's funny because whenever I talk about money, and it never fails, there are people who get mad. There are people who get angry. Um, literally, some people never come back. 
And I, I, I find that funny, actually. Um, but I've come into the place, I've, I've started always with uh, um, some difficulties um, with preaching on money. That's a mad guy. I'm just putting it out there. But I've come to a place in my life where I actually, I just don't care anymore. And uh, I have to be faithful to the vision of this church, and I'm responsible to teach scripture and so that we all understand what it says about our money and what it says about vision and how they all pair together. And before I do that, I, w- I actually took my time and began to study our nation and our nation's charitable giving. So I don't even want to talk about you guys. I want to talk about what's going on in our culture. So in my research, Canadians donated their time, their money, their energy to causes that matter to them the most. They believed in their cause. These individuals had foundational support for Canada's more than, we have 161,000 charities in Canada, uh, nonprofits, And again, they look to the community to support that fabric. My findings include this. About 64% of Canadians report giving money in the last 12 months, either by giving a money to charity, by giving money to a church or religious organization, or simply sponsoring somebody. You ever get those? You know, I'm doing a bike-a-thon, run-a-thon, or whatever. That's how people give. Supporting children, interesting enough that the masters are here, is the most popular cause for Canadians to have donated. And we find that 30% of the Canadians donate when it comes to supporting children. Here's the crazy thing. The, the median amount, when they figure it all out, the median amount donated or sponsored in the last year was 104 Canadian dollars. Okay. Giving online, credit bank, uh, credit card, uh, bank card is, is the most popular method of donation. 34% of Canadians do that. We have our debit machine just outside at the Welcome Center. I'll just say that, slide it right in there, make it happen. So it's not surprising that I say this too, the rates of who gives are in the area of those who are aged 35 to 54. You people give the most. And uh, the average amount donated increases as you get older, which is interesting. And it's clear that Canadians are motivated to donate because as Canadians, we care for our fellow citizens. We care about social impact. We care for various causes, various organizations represented. And it's interesting and, and they say this, that only 23% of people who give to charitable organizations do it for the tax receipt. Only 23%. So it tells us that many Canadians don't really care about their tax receipt, which is interesting. But for every opportunity, there are also obstacles. For every blessing, there's a challenge. And we're told that charitable giving in Canada is now in the decline. Canadians donated 7% less in 2015 than we did in 2006. And the other interesting thing they're saying is the proportion of Canadian families who make donations has eroded over the past decade from 45.3% of families in 2006 to 39.9% in 2015. These are numbers. It's all I'm saying is giving's going down. Another interesting effect, intriguing fact is that the more high-income families, listen to this, the less the charitable giving. Ouch. Now, the number of high-income families in Canada now has jumped by almost 10%. So if you, when you're filling out your taxes and you have a combined family income of $150,000 a year, you're considered a high-income family in that stat. And yet at the same time, they see this greatest decline in the amount of the average donation interesting. 
So when we talk about giving, the odds are already against us in our culture. It's, it's already there. Giving and generosity aren't deeply embedded in our natural culture. We th- seem to think it is. About 100 bucks. Seriously, you spend, you spend that in two months at Starbucks. You spend it in about two weeks at Tim Hortons because I see those nasty addictions that you guys go through there all the time. You know, it's just what it is. And I need to be honest that today the church is not great at giving either. And I'm talking about the church at large. And this isn't exactly news, but this is statistical fact. Tithers make up only on on any given church 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Now, I use the word that some people are going to get all riled up about. That's even better. So today, Christians give on average 2.43% of their income. Evangelicals are amongst the most generous, donating an average of 4%. Conservative Christians like Baptists are more likely to tithe than Catholics, interesting enough. Christians are only giving at 2.5% per capita. I think the next slide is what I'm looking for. Thank you. Take a look at that one. The number of Catholics, the number of Presbyterians, the number of Baptist giving, the number of Pentecostals. Woohoo! Yo, minnows, you didn't make the cut. Just throwing it out there, all right? Now, I, I can talk about the, these numbers that, you know, Christians are only giving 2.5% um, per capita on, on a scale, religious people, where in the Great Depression, during the Great Depression, Christians were giving 3, over 3.3%. So numbers like that I can talk and it can invoke guilt. That's not the purpose. That's not the point. The larger point is what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum, minimum of, of let's say, 10%. All right? Uh, the real problem is when it comes to our giving is actually it's not about money. The Bible says the real problem when it comes to giving is about our eyes. It's what Jesus called the evil eye. He said it like this. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will <coughs> Sorry. Will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The term that we use, the evil eye, is a Jewish term. Whereas the good eye in Judaism refers to goodwill, it refers to benevolence, it refers to being genuinely happy when other people prosper. The evil eye is actually quite the opposite. The person with the evil eye feels distressed when other people prosper. Uh, It rejoices when other people suffer. It loves their money. It would do nothing uh, in the way of charity. So when Jesus spoke about the eye, he was speaking to largely a Jewish audience who knew what he was talking about. They knew a good eye was a generous person. They also knew that an evil eye was stingy. And so you need to notice the context of this passage and how it ends. Because Jesus continues on. He's talking about this, and then he says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, because you can't serve both God and money. Isn't that interesting? And so the truth is, God gives us stuff. Like this, bananas. Like, how many bananas you got there? Can you rip them apart and show me? Like, what do you, one, two, three, four, five. Six, keep going, seven, eight, nine, nine, thank you, that's great. 
And we got, got some cucumbers. Just lay, yeah, lay them all out there. How many of you guys got there? Do you know? You know? Count them and let me know before you walk away. So you'll notice that God gives us everything. That, ten. Awesome. Thank you. What do you have there? Oranges. Do you want to pull them out and just sort of put them on? That would be really cool. There should be a hole in that bag. That's great. So the truth is, giving is, is a heart issue. It's not a money issue. I don't think God gives us onions. I'm just saying that. I'm just throwing it out there. We all got to cry. Yeah. But, to, but to, to put it bluntly, sometimes the church thinks and acts like the world. And we think that our house is the result of our hard labor, that our job is a direct result of our educational achievements, our intellectual aptitudes, right? When we begin acting in a way uh, uh, that confirms those beliefs, this is mine. My speech reveals the fact that we neither believe that the Lord gives or that the Lord takes away. Our actions demonstrate that when we believe that we can determine our destinies. I can do this myself, and our lives are characterized more by self-sufficiency. Look at all this. I did it all myself than it does on dependence upon God. So by focusing so intently on our gifts that these are all just mine, we become short-sighted in two very distinct ways. First of all, we lose the sight of the reality that all of our possessions are a gift from God. Oh, what are those? Sweet potatoes. Oh, pull them out. Take them out of the bag. Make it happen. Look at that. Who likes sweet potatoes? Yeah, good stuff, yeah. But again, all of our possessions are a gift from God, and without him, we would possess nothing. He provides the strength, right, so that we can do our work. He provides our health to go to work. He gives us the ability to grasp intellectual concept. He gives us the ability to earn our degrees. He grants us favor in the eyes of the world. And second, we lose sight of the reality that all of our possessions are actually owned by God. He owns this stuff. When you receive a gift from somebody, you own that gift. The giver surrenders the right of ownership. When you receive a gift from God, however, you are a second owner, if you will. God never surrenders his rights as a primary owner because Scripture says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. All that he gives... Uh, does this ever stop? <laughs> Cherry tomatoes. Somebody getting hungry yet? Wow. Yeah, find a place, man. Wow, look at that. It, it's, it's interesting that uh, recognizing God as the ultimate giver and the supreme owner of all your... Avocados. <laughs> Limes. Oh, my goodness. It, it, it's interesting it's, it's all that comes from God. It's by the marvelous work of the Holy Spirit. When we recognize that, when we have that understanding, uh, Jesus begins to exalt certain traits within us. We become humble. We become uh, um, dependent on divine dependency, to, so to speak. Uh, we have the gifts of responsibility. With, we have generosity and true worship because we're so thankful. And, and, and nonetheless, it's, it's one thing to affirm a theological truth in our heads. It's an, actually another thing to actually affirm it in our lives. We're not done yet. Okay. <laughs> in theory, 
when you think about it, we... <laughs> Uh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, that's an onion. I, I tell you, like this one's trying to run away, man. You might have to put those on the floor in front, maybe. So that it doesn't, because I can't afford to have it all fall over. It's going to be so distracting. There it goes! <laughs> in theory, many uh, Christians will declare that, that God is their source and the rightful owner of everything that we possess. But in practice, we slowly begin to take ownership of our most prized possessions and accomplishments. Now, at the risk of offending some people, but what, what, the hell's, what else is new here? I'm already over my head now. I believe, and you'll notice who's up to here putting all this stuff up. I believe that church has to show the under 35 generation that it has to be more generous with its resources and make significant investments in evangelism in a local church. Younger people, uh, stats tell us they give on emotion and feeling. They don't give out of discipline and loyalty. They've been lulled into thinking that if they can buy a pair of shoes, that they've donated substantially because a poor person got another pair of shoes. Now, I'm not bashing Tom's shoes, but you got to track with me with what I'm saying here. But one tithe check is way, or donation, I should put it, because they don't write checks. One tithe donation is way more than any shoe donation. And yet, they look down on the tithe, but they look up on shoes. This is how a generation perceives. They would rather buy water that gives another person a nickel for a well in India and feel like they gave to the church by buying that water versus sacrificing to give to missions and building churches around the world and knowing that it isn't done by a buy one, get one free. It's done, and this is what we need to teach, it's done by rearranging our priorities financially and giving substantial percentages, percentages to the advancements of the cause of Christ. <coughs> Sorry. So in order for us to actually begin to fulfill the vision here at Soul Sanctuary, we need to understand this. It all starts with tithing. So how do we lead people on a journey to become generous and, and to become over and above givers? The challenge is teaching the churchgoers that 10% is just the starting point. That's all it is. It's not the end game. And here at Seoul, we have asked people to be biblical tithers, and we don't apologize for that. It's clear that if, if you want to be an over and above giver, you have to have something. There has to be something to be over and above and that something truly is a tithe. Tithing is a principle, if you didn't know this, of giving one-tenth of our income back to God. So here at Seoul, we teach that tithing is biblical. It's not just part of the law. Listen to me. Oh, you're just pushing law on people. Guys! You remember that video? He has spoken. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> you know, I've preached enough message on, on giving that when you investigate what the Bible says, it's actually very clear that Scripture shows that tithing predates 
the law. It's before the law. It's before all that stuff. You can go to Genesis. You can see it. Abraham does what? He gives a tenth to show that God was his source, that God was his success, and, and that it was due to God's blessing. At the end of his victory, at the end of his big business deal, Abraham could have thought, you know, I did this. I'm really great. Look at me. Instead, he gave back to God in humility and with an attitude that said, God, you did this. You're really great. Abraham tithed out of a love for God and desired to acknowledge him as his source. Jacob followed Abraham's example in Genesis, and Jacob declared God as his Lord and began to tithe. Now, I need a volunteer. Come on up here. Now, my understanding is that everything here is intense. What I would like you to do, maybe starting with the stuff that's on the floor, is pick one item, one-tenth, and just put one item of ten on there. All right? And just keep doing that while I'm talking. And make it look really nice and pretty. You know, of course, let that artistic nature just flow <laughs> right out of you. No, no doubles. I know, I know. I'm just saying, no doubles, all right? No, I, you scare me. Um, there we go, because some stuff is pretty small. So as with, this is it, tithing be, actually becomes a matter of the heart. When we look at the New Testament, it's called grace giving, and it's a type of giving that's above the tithe. And when we are convinced that tithing predates the law, that it's biblical, then when we are on our way to become, <laughs> this is great, over and above generous givers. Anyway, giving is a hard issue. It's not a money issue, people. That's what it comes right down to, and that's why some people get mad at church when the church talks about money. Jesus tells us, again, Matthew, where your heart is, where your treasure is, whatever you put that, that's where your heart's going to follow. And if you start putting your treasure, your tithe, your talent somewhere, then all of a sudden your heart's going to follow after that. And that's why it affects us so much. Jesus had more to say about giving than he had to say about heaven and hell combined. Now, our church is doing just okay. It's not like, you know, uh, I, I have to say this. I want us to see us do this better. I really do. I want us to go higher than we've ever been. And I wish the numbers were higher, but the national average is about 3% of church attendees tithe. I can't comment on our church because I don't know those numbers. Oh, I, well, I don't know. What are you missing? Um, sure? Yeah. You sure? You sure? Okay. So, thank you. Many times... I'll get people saying, hey, you know, how come Soul Sanctuary is always doing this and doing this? And I'll just say that it's because there are people in this community who have stepped up and said, you can count on me. We do what we do because some people have a kingdom-building mindset. It's about the kingdom. It's not about us. And they realize that. And they realize that they have been blessed to be a blessing. And they understand that God owns all the money. And it's all his. And we are just stewards of it. And we understand that there is good stewardship and there's good business practices and our church is involved in that. We run a budget that leaves a margin. And you may not know this, but the church is in a position of strength, so to speak, so to speak when I preach this. We basically have two months of income in reserve. So if nobody in, gave to Seoul for the next two months and they were totally disobedient to God, <clears throat> um, we could survive, right? We would be in trouble, but we could survive for two months. And we are in a position that I can preach this today, not needing to say, please, or can you give and cry, right, until you give, or 
bring Yuri up here and pinch him until he cries, until we get enough money. Like, I can't do that. My desire is that every Sunday that you would grow in some aspect and maybe that this talk today is your next step in discipleship. And the phrase, God loves a cheerful giver, hilarious, hilarious giver, hilaron is the word. It's found in 2 Corinthians 9. It's on our joy baskets when you walk in. Look at some people, some of you, you walked in today with burdens. Some people, you need a miracle. Some people come in battling disease. Some people come in, there's eternal, internal strife going on. But when it comes to giving, we could all be on the same page and we can be joyful about it. Isn't that interesting? In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church. He's saying to look at guys, the church in Jerusalem is down. They're struggling. They need an offering. They need some help. I need you guys, the church in Corinth, to help us. And, and he's saying, hey, by the way, that Macedonian church over there, they don't have a lot of money, but they begged me for the opportunity to participate in the giving in Jerusalem. And isn't that interesting? Isn't it just like that today, that the people that are down and out give to people who are more down and out. Watch the streets. What's, what's going on there? And sometimes rich people will walk right by people that are down and out, but the down and out will give something to those who are more down and out than they are. And Paul is saying this, hey, let's not live this way. I want you to have money. I know you're blessed. Uh, look at these guys. Look how they're doing. They're, but you may want to be just like that. Look at their heart. And this is just a side note. Paul never rips into a church to make another one look better. He never does. He always talks about the good things that people will rise up to good things. Are you with me on that? And I need to declare this then as a church. We will speak life about every church that preaches the name of Jesus here at Soul Sanctuary. We will never rip apart another church to make our church look better. We will hold up a great example for other people to live up to. We will be godly. We will be life-giving here at church because we are all on the same team. You may have had your baggages, uh, your wars, your differences, your hurts, whatever. That's fine. If you hear, we hear people talking about a church, we're going to say, we love those guys because we do. We're all reflective of who God is in our lives. We're all on the same team. We're all going for a city that needs Jesus, and we need to work together. And so Paul is like, look, this Macedonian church, remember those poor guys, they're doing good. You should join like with them. They don't have that much, but they just want to give. And you guys have a lot. He's telling that to the Corinthians. So get in on this. It's good. And then we pick it up in verse 6, and Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves what? Hilarity! He's a joking guy. He loves hilarity. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, and you will abound in every good work. And as it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And if you don't know what that means, he's quoting from the Psalms there. And then he goes on to say, he says, He who stores supply seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. This is all blessing. 
And it's interesting. He keeps going on. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for, and the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody else. And in their prayers for you, interestingly, as a giver, people pray for you. Their hearts will go out to you because of your surpassing grace that God has given you. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so I read this here, and there's general observations I point out. And we give, uh, when we give and we part with our cash, when we part with what we have, we're saying, one, that we love the poor. You need to understand that this church loves the poor. And when we give, some of, you, some of what you give actually goes to the poor. And I can tell you this, in the secular arena, I don't like sacred secular, but I have to use it in terms of describing. In the world out there, when somebody asks, what, I, you know, what do you do, it's just like, oh, you've got to be kidding. And I always have to think quick and I have to respond, you know. And I'm, you know, I'm always dodging it, yeah. There's a stigma about being a pastor. I work for a global enterprise. That's what I do, you know. We have outlets in nearly every country of the world. We have hospitals, hospices, homeless shelters, orphanages, feeding programs, educational programs, social justice programs. You know, we work with marriages and reconciliation and freedom from addictions and other things like that. Basically, we look after people from birth to death and, and deal with the area of, you know, behavior modification. And uh, they go, what do you do? And I go, oh, I'm a minister or a pastor, you know. Oh, you're religious. And then usually, I kid you not, there's this odd reference about an abuser thrown somewhere in there. And, and I kid you not. Then, I, then I'll hear, well, you know, what good does the church do? You steal all the money. And I go, did you not just hear what I just rattled off to you? Did you not just hear? And then I immediately go to the message of the poor. You know what? We, we help, we buy, we collect stuff for the feed the inner city kids at Living Word, to feed not just the kids but families at Living Word. 180 people almost on. Mark, you're here, Right? Roughly 180 in the winter, it goes down in the summer, right? Yeah. Uh, Mark is part of our kitchen staff there at, at, at Living Word. So we feed uh, families. There's a food bank there. There's a clothing bank there. You donate stuff. We truck it over there. There's families in need. We provide Christmas presents for kids. We provide hampers at Christmas time. Not only do we do that, but we feed. You've heard it. We help kids around the world. We support them by assisting in their education in countries like Indonesia, in countries like Africa, in countries like Brazil. And you know what? The list actually continues to go on. And we... You know, and we give because we give because we love lost people. You know, the secular world doesn't care that we love lost people. The second, secular world doesn't even know that they're lost. You know, what do you mean we're lost? They don't care. They, they like the first part. Oh, you help the poor. Well, that's good. That's, yeah, but we also love lost people. We love people at large. And we understand that God wants to forgive people of their sins, that they can be made right with God, that their sins separate them, and, and we want to give. And so the local and global teams that we support can reach lost people. It's twofold. And so that you understand when you give, it's saying that we love the church. We understand that God says, I am building my church. And when we give and we bring our tithe to the church and we part with this money, this is the tithe of that. <laughs> well, I've got one yep. Does that not surprise you? This is overflowing, falling all over the place. Man, bad building planning and external pressures, I guess. That's what that one is. But this is the tithe of that. Same size tables. 
God, we love the church you created. Do you love the church? You know, how many know that, again, the world doesn't get excited about that? You know, Sobeys doesn't get excited. Sobeys doesn't write Soul Sanctuary a check. I just want to say that. I love Sobeys. I go there. It's great. They're very generous in the community. You see that happen. But how many of you know they don't give to churches? How many of you know that the government does not give us any money? Actually, the government here owes us over 10000 in GST. And it's a rebate that we actually should be having in our hands, but we're actually having a hard time getting it back. Go figure that one out. Those are external pressures, right? They give us tax exemptions, and then they give you a tax deduction when you donate, and that's basically what you have. But the rest of it, they're not really supporting us. They don't support the church. They're not giving us money. And even when they do, if you get a grant from the government, it's filled with all types of conditions and restrictions. So when we give, we say that we love the church. When we give, we say that we love lost people. When we give, we say that we love the poor. (coughs) But there's one more thing. When we give, we say that we love God. (coughs) I'm sorry, I'm coming down with something. When we part with our money, we say, God, we love you. We love what you've done for us. We love what you've done in us. We love what you're doing with us and to us. And we love you. uh, And we give because of that. We give. God gives all this. We give 10%. Did it make a dent? Do you see the concept of giving any more clear than what I've outlined today for you? Now, I understand this. What we do with our money in our hands says a lot about what we're doing with God in our heart. And so I want us to get this right. In verse 6, Paul says, hey, it's sowing and reaping, and you want to sow as much as you can in the kingdom of God. You want to be generous. You want to do as much as you can. And it's not like, I, you know, I get to 10% and I stop. No, you get to 10% and you're finally just being obedient. It's not like, well, I'm at 10%, now I can do as little as I can. The principle here in Scripture specifically in the New Testament, is to be generous and to keep on going, to go over, above, and beyond. And where would you go over and above and beyond? Well, you start at that 10%. And that over and above and beyond is what the Bible calls a free will offering. So I have excess, excess, sorry, not excess, excess stuff. So I'm going to give over and above, over and above and beyond. Oh, has it really made a difference? I want you to know that free will offerings, when you study it, are throughout all the scriptures. The Old Testament is loaded with places where they gave and they gave. Um, it, It says, as every man's heart was stirred in Exodus 35, they gave willingly. Leviticus talks about it, Deuteronomy, Ezra, multiple times in, in, in scriptures we see it. It's like they gave freely and they kept giving and giving. And as a matter of fact, in Second Chronicles, there's a passage that talks about the priest that was in charge of managing all the money that was given just in free will offerings. And it's pretty amazing because it's saying, give generously, keep going on, keep going and doing whatever you can. Don't just do a little bit, but keep sowing and give and give. And I believe that sometimes the poorest people in our church sow the most. They can be so generous. It's almost like the Macedonian church. They, they're like, I can't wait to give. And I'm like, but you have so little. And 
I can't wait to give. I'm going to give some more. And it's, and it's, it's exciting to see people just understand that they're sowing into the kingdom of God and they want to do more. And it stood out to me as I read through Mark chapter 12. Jesus says, it says that Jesus was sitting there, and I love this. Mark chapter 12, Jesus says he was sitting there and watching people give. Can you imagine me sitting, having a chair right by the joy basket? Arr, I'm going to watch people give. But he was. And it blows me away. He's right there. And what do we have? We have like sealed envelopes and frosted glass on the joy basket, right? Because everything's about private things. But he's right there. He's watching everybody give. And then talked about this widow who gave so little, but it was everything she had. And as I was looking at that, I was like, that's amazing because God just doesn't, God doesn't condemn rich people for giving large amounts. Let me say that first of all. It's, it's like there's something about rich people giving large amounts and then you get excited about people when they have very little uh, giving but very large percentages. Are you with me? And large amounts and large percentages are very important to the mission of God. And if you're wealthy and you're blessed and you have been given a large amount of resources, thank God that you've been given large amounts to the, and you can do, in, in turn, you can bless the church as well. And how many know that large amounts given to the church actually keep these doors open, right? Because it's true. Large amounts given to the church keep the doors open. It's, and it's kind of like a home run. It clears the bases and everybody scores. It's a good thing. And we thank God for large amounts. But the other thing here is large percentages. Opens the windows of heaven. And I believe that. Now there's actually a lie that happens to you if you don't have a large amount of money. If you don't have a large amount of money, but you're thinking, I just have a little bit, it's sacrificial giving, and you're like, well, it doesn't really matter. This, this, you know, this is really all I have. It doesn't really matter to the church. Let me just say this. Yes, it does. Because I believe, just like this widow's gift caught the attention of Jesus, every time somebody does a sacrificial gift, heaven pays attention more to what's happening in, at Soul Sanctuary and in this person's life. That's what I believe. And so every time a widow or a widower gives, heaven pays attention. Every time a, a college student gives and says, I'm going to be a tither and I'm going to be a kingdom builder and I'm going to work at Starbucks, heaven pays attention. Every time a single mom or a single dad gives, heaven pays attention. Every time a family that's in need just gives something, heaven pays attention. And I can tell you this, I've been in the position when somebody wanted to give to the church and they came up to me and it makes me very uncomfortable and they put it in my hand and I didn't even want to receive it for the church because I knew where, where this person is coming from and they said this is for the church and I go you need this more than we do and, and God is like no you let them give because I'm paying attention to what's going on in their life and I believe this your gifts get the attention of God and open the blessing of heaven upon us and those gifts that are large numbers uh, uh, there are gifts that are large numbers, but they're maybe not large percentage-wise, and that's fine. But they keep moving us forward. And together they bring a dual blessing on the church, and that's the principle. Do as much as you can. Think about how much you can give, not on how little you can give and get away with. Verse 7 says that you're to think ahead before you give, and each of you should do that. You don't give under compulsion. There's no sob story coming here. You're not being forced to give. That's why we got joy baskets. Does that make sense? Come on. You want to live better, be a, give. 
You know, you don't, you don't hear me pulling Yuri up here and I'm going to pinch him and make him cry and how's the count going? God wants you to give with a joyful heart. He wants you to give not with sadness. He wants to bring you to bring in your tithes, your offerings to the church, not like how you pay your taxes. Nobody leaves City Hall happy singing, I just paid my taxes, right? If you, you get a refund from the government, oh, yeah, yeah. well, no, you just paid all that. That's yours in the first place. They're just sending them back to you, right? But always like, yeah, I just paid the government. No, we don't celebrate, but God loves a cheerful giver. So why? Because when you're a cheerful giver, you're in tune with everything else on earth. Everything else on earth was created to give. This fruit, these vegetables, were created to give what? You nourishment. Everything else was created to give. Everything else was created to be in this. And God, your Father, as we read Scripture, is a giver. And everything else on this earth gives. And if it doesn't give, what is it? It's a desert, isn't it? It consumes and it takes. But everything else is life-giving. And when you do this, you get into the rhythm of creation. You get into tune with our Heavenly Father. And He loves that you start to look like Him. Why? Because you start being generous. And you start giving even when those who you give to may not deserve it. Ouch. Right? But in your giving, you become in tune with the Father. And how do many of us know when something is out of tune? Some of you are tone deaf. That doesn't apply to you. But for the rest of us, it's not a very exciting thing. And here's the thing. When you are generous and you're in tune with what God is doing, he's like, I love that. I love that. I love that you look like me. I love that you're, that you're in tune because I am a giving God and I want you to get involved and I want you to be in tune with me. And it go, he continues to write and he says, you know, he's going to bless you abundantly in all things, having all that you need. Look at our culture, people. We have all that we need. As a matter of fact, we have access to the point of debt because we don't think we have enough. Paul introduces the church at Corinth to another concept that we should just call God's math. He's saying that when you take what you have and you start to give God generously from the tithe and more, God gets involved in your finances. He's able to do whatever he wants with your money, and he's able to take care of you. It's called God's math. Do you really surrender your finances over or, or not? And some of us have real hard problems with that. How many have ever told somebody that when you're, you're trying to explain that you tithe, I mean, you give 10% of your income, and you're like, well, you know, they don't really understand. So, like, I take 10% of what I give, and I give it to God, I give it to the church, and the other 90%, really, I, I keep, and it's actually better than if I kept all 100%, because I'm with God, I'm being obedient with God. And they're kind of like, well, what are you talking about? And it doesn't really make sense, but you know what, my bills are paid. And, and we made it, and we were able to do it, and, and God gets involved in the math somehow, and it begins to work. And Paul's saying, don't you understand that when God is involved in your finances, and God is doing this, that he's able to make you prosper. I'm not talking a prosperity message. I'm talking common sense. I'm talking biblical sense. That he's able to take care of you, and he will do more than whatever he lets you, you, know, you keep then than what you gave back to them. He's going to do more with that than what, he, what you got here. It's amazing how it works. 
in verses 9, 10, and 11, I bunch them together. It's a continuation of God's math. He's saying, like, if, if you just get in on the generosity, the blessing of the generosity, if you just begin to do this, he's going to start to propel us forward into more blessing and more generosity. God is going to be able to get his math going as you start to do this and as you start scattering your seeds of generosity. God will start to pour out more on you and more on you and more on you. And you get in the flow and the flow will get into you. And you know what? When you start giving, it's amazing. It feels, if I can put it that way, so good. And you've jumped into the flow. You know what I hear? Well, God, if you bless me, then I'll bless you. If I win the lottery, I'll give 10%. No, you won't. You're cheap. Plus, you're never going to win the lottery, so I'm just going to throw it out there. No, we get into the flow. You, you give with what you have. You give, you work, work within your means. If you struggle with that, we'll be starting a Good Sense program uh, in the fall. We want to help you. But again, the, the onus lies on you. The tools are all there, but some of us just don't put the, get it going. But we can't outgive God, but we can sure run in the flow with him. Verse 11 says, we can be enriched in every good way. And I've heard it said in many different ways, but you're blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed. You need to know that. You have so much. And out of your blessing, you, uh, you can flow to be a blessing and you give more. And God wants you and I to be a blessing. And, and the statement to me in verse 11 says, live about the stuff. Live above the stuff. God is going to bless you. He's going to pour out his blessing on you, and you're going to get into the flow. It would be very tempting to live like the rest of the world, just live for stuff. But God is about live above the stuff. Live above things. Now, I know a lot of us have things. Let me just say, chances are most of us here are the richest people in the world. So, of course, did more research. If you make $35,000, a year, you are in the richest 1% of the world. If you make more than $350,000, you are still in the richest 1% of the world. Now one is 0.87 and the other one is 0.035% if you want exact. The fact of the matter is, people, in our nation, we are in the richest 1% of the world. As a matter of fact, Canada on a list of the 25, we are on the list of the 25 top richest nations in the world. We're number 24, I think. We've got to get into the flow of what God's doing, with what God's doing locally and what God's doing provincially, what God's doing nationally and what God is doing globally. And uh, he, he's really saying to us, don't, don't live to get more stuff. Live to eliminate need. Live to eliminate need. And you, you think about that. Let me say it again. Don't live to get more stuff, but live to eliminate need. <clears throat> live in such a way that you start saying, hey, we can meet that need for that missionary. Let's write a check or, you know, let's send cash via debit. All right. Um, we can meet, uh, meet those needs for, for the poor. Let's give. We can do that. Let's live in a way that we can be generous on every occasion. And let's position ourselves to live more uh, for him than for stuff. 
Now, again, there's nothing wrong with prospering. There's nothing wrong with that. And God is giving you the ability uh, to earn wealth. And as you do that, you're able to take care of your family's needs. You're able to do these things. But we need to live higher than the stuff. The stuff should never be our goal. Your life should be living more than that. We need to be big livers, which we are, right? Need to be big givers. Big livers, not like livers, but big livers need to be big givers. And if you're going to live big, you've got to give big. Be, be that 1%, you know, that we find ourselves in. That should you be your model. Let's live big and give big. If God's going to allow you to be responsible for a lot of money, and you know this is all stuff is, is happening, and, and you're taking care of your family, and you're doing these things, and you're prospering, if you're going to live big, then give big, because God blessed you to be a blessing. Am I clear? Do you see? This is what Scripture teaches. So here's my problem. I want to give this away. Because I don't know what to do with all this stuff in my house. (laughs) But there are many people here who have been so hungry throughout this entire life lesson. Sorry? Yeah, okay. So, I have to give. Verses 12 through 14, people are helped, God is praised. When we give, people are helped, and God is praised. And that's what Paul is saying. And the best way is you get the joy, and God gets the glory. You don't need a plaque in praise. You just need to say, here it is, God. I give it to you, and I want people to be blessed. I want them to sing your praise. I'll get joy, but God gets the glory. And it doesn't matter. And that's the beauty of anonymous giving. And it's like you get the praise, God. I get the joy. I think that's a great exchange. The last verse, verse 15, he's talking about Jesus, and he's basically saying God you know, has been so good to you. When we're all recipients of, of Jesus, right? We, we should be givers. We are all recipients. We should be givers. And he's like, God has given you such a beautiful gift. Romans 5.8 says that, uh, even better, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you gave anything to God, God was already giving to you. Wow. And you know what? We need to thank God for his indescribable gift. We need to serve a God that is a giving God, a loving God, a God that gave us the most amazing gift. And as recipients of that most amazing gift, we want to be generous on every occasion. And so I close today. We are going to pray. I'm going to give you a blessing. Um, We need to stack these chairs eight high and put them against that wall. Folkorama's coming in. Uh, This place is going to be crazy for the next few weeks, but we're going to make it work. But I'm going to say this. I have a whole bunch of fruit here for the taking, and I want to give it away. No strings attached. I was thinking about giving it away with strings attached. You need to give this to your neighbor and tell them about Jesus. No. But I think that's a great idea. No, if uh, you want any, anything, there's sweet potatoes, lemons, limes, onions. You can make your own lunch today. Uh, you can have a quasi-fruit salad or whatever. You want something, you come and get it. Please come and take. Take freely and may this be embedded in your mind of God's generosity to you, and may you be generous back. Stand with me, let's pray. 
God, I pray that you would help us be generous on every occasion, and we thank you for the indescribable gift. We thank you that you sent your son that while we were still sinners, uh, that while we were still enemies, you were giving, and you set an amazing example. So God, as your children, as your church, we commit to saying that we want to be generous on every occasion. I'm speaking on behalf of people because I hope that's what's in their hearts. So help us, my prayer, is that we would be cheerful, hilarious givers. Help us to realize that we've been blessed to be a blessing. And if we are living large, I pray that we would give large. I pray that we uh, would just give you the glory, give you the honor. It's not about amount, God. It's about the percentage that we put in. You know our hearts. And may now those that are in a moment of decision, I pray for obedience to your will, for them to desire to get in on God's math. Get in on the blessing of God. Get in so that the flow will push them forward so that they can be blessed to be a blessing. And we thank you for this. Lord, I pray that you will release in this next year the blessing of God over this church. That you would release from us the need to have it our way. That you would release the external pressures that come our way. But Lord, that you would also release a blessing of finance and you would allow the light to come on that we may be able to see how we are really connected to this vision. There is so much that is yet to do, God. And I pray that you would release us all to joyfully fulfill what we can do in your name, in this city, in the province and nation in this world. And those who agreed said amen. In the ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for his blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here it is. May the only true and living God grant you grace to hold your most cherished gifts in this life loosely, being willing to use them and even lose them to the glory of his name. Why? So that we may live in accordance with Paul's command that the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So as you go... Boast in the Lord, and now go and live the church, and we'll see you next week.